Welcome back to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jeff Kurtnacker, and with us is our first-time filmmaker, <laughs> Christian Taylor. Throwing the curveball already. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good, good. I'm feeling very musical today, very talented. And with us, as usual, is the incredibly handsome, incredibly talented Jason Rugg. How's it going, Jason? Oh, very good. I do. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe I mixed that up. I'm Jason Rugg. That's Jeff Kurtnacker. You are not Josh Lindsay. <laughs> no, Josh is not with I us. I do prefer the youthful touch and the good looks of Jason Rugg, though, so we could keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jason, uh, I do appreciate you being 100% yourself. I love the curveball you threw us just now. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we need to say a little prayer for Josh Lindsay. He's feeling under the weather today, so that's Aww. why he isn't here. Uh, we miss you, Josh, and hope you get better soon. Last minute, I just want to give a shout out to Jeff Kurtnacker, who was willing to jump on the pod. And uh, today we are going to talk about some music cue sheets after we catch up and get to know each other. As everybody knows, last week I just sort of filled in by myself. I haven't seen Jason in, I don't know, it feels like a lifetime, Jason. I don't know where you've been, what you've been, been up to. It's been a little while, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually remember exactly why. There was something. <laughs> so that's why I wasn't available. I don't remember why. <laughs> yeah, you weren't available. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> yeah. It was a busy so, week. It's at least two weeks since I've seen you. So what's been going on in your life the last two weeks? Um, let's see. Uh, Animation-wise, uh, the Jackson Chan uh, Instagram animation channel that we've launched uh, crossed uh, 1,300 uh, followers, which is kind of crazy. I don't remember if we'd crossed 1,000 the last time we talked, but we crossed 1,000 and now we're off into uh, heading towards the next 1,000. We're actually experimenting now with um, boosted posts, which is pretty fun, where you throw a little bit of money at Facebook, like five bucks, and then point them at an audience and say, boost this post and see what happens. And so we're we're experimenting and seeing which audiences like what we're putting out. And so we're kind of doing uh, testing um, to see what our audience likes, who they are, what, what demographics we're looking at. Because once we know that information, then we can target even more specifically when we get further down the down the road so we're we're doing some kind of marketing research at this point so that's that's kind of where i am yeah you know we did that a lot with uh the girl who wore freedom because we would we started off just posting and hoping we could get a lot of traction organically and what i love um our social media people bethany valero and savannah woods basically you know their degree was in social media marketing and they taught us how to grow this channel and with those boosted posts or promoted posts or uh taking out ads there are several different ways that you can do those things and they taught me you know you can target them to actually grow your numbers you can target them to raise money you can target them to get clicks to your website and it is useful to find out what your content, you know, whose attention it's catching. And, you know, what I loved it is when we would do a split, um, a split post where we would target two different audiences, slightly different to find out, you know, which one worked better and stuff like that. So there are some good marketing tools that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram give you. And I'm glad you're finding those. It'll be interesting to see what you find out. Yeah, it's um, it's been interesting because like um, one of the main things they tell you when it comes to marketing is like 
for social media marketing in particular is that if you can get your cost of acquisition of a follower below 50 cents, um, you can generally make that back, whether it's through and if your content creation through like merch sales or Patreon or whatever, if you keep it below 50 cents, you can generally speaking do pretty well. And so some of the ads we ran were getting like it would cost us, you know, 75 cents to, to get somebody. And it's like, okay, so that ad is not pointed at the right audience. It's not, you know, whatever. And then we would readjust the audience and we were getting uh, followers for like 14 cents, which is yeah. crazy low. And so it was just, it was really interesting to see like, okay, so if we point this at Rick and Morty, we get really good results. But if we don't, if we point it over here, um, and that's just an example, I don't, I'm, I'm not even doing a lot of that. Sean's handling most of that. But it's like, if, if we point an ad at a different audience, it can perform just vastly different or not converting one at all and spend like five bucks and get nothing. So it's, it's a really interesting way to experiment and see who likes your stuff is <laughs> really, it's really what, what you're finding out. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah. Have you, we'll do you have any preliminary demographics of who actually likes your stuff? A uh, lot of males, a uh, lot of in the like 18 to 35 range. That's just kind of generally speaking, like, adult animation that's kind of who we were thinking we're going to get anyways and so that's kind of where it's headed yeah which i think is interesting that is who you and sean are yeah so (laughs) you're creating content that you would like so it makes sense that that is your audience you know yeah yeah um yeah cool well jeff it's been a long time since we've seen you i think the last time we saw you perhaps was uh when you were when george champa was here is that when you were with us last i was not on with george i was on i think one episode where he wasn't on and then he had an episode where he did like his final part of his story, which I was not there. And then I was on shortly after that. So I kind of just missed him. Yeah. So what's been happening with you? Oh man, actually. So a lot's been going on. Um, I had left one job at the beginning of August and then wasn't sure what was going to be next. And that was sort of stressful. And I've accepted a job that starts <gasps> in October. So October 1st is my new uh, start date for this new job, which I'm really excited about. That's awesome. And it's another game company, and I get to be the head of audio for um, this for this particular game. And I can't talk about it because it's unannounced kind of secret project right now. But um, it'll be really fun. A good friend of mine is the game director on this game. And so it's sort of his vision and I have a ton of respect for him. I think he's just such a creative guy. So I'm really excited to be working with him again. He and I worked on Wildstar together and it'll be really fun. And so I thought, okay, that starts in October. I got September. I'm just going to chill out. But then last week I got um, a contract for another game that another friend of mine is making at a company here in Orange County. And this game is going to be so, it's so cool. I'm so excited about it. And I've really wanted to write music for it, but they're just not ready for a composer. But um, they are uh, making sort of a demo walkthrough for their publisher. And they contracted me to do five minutes of music for that, which is unnecessary. But I really appreciated the fact that they (laughs) are bringing me in at the ground floor. And my goal is to get them to not be able to imagine this game with anyone else writing the music uh, but them. So, or but me. So I think that would, my September went from, I got really nothing to do to like, oh man, I got a lot to do. And I'm working on a Christmas album with a couple friends that we've been wanting to do for years. And that's oh, really wow. kind of coming along. It's, it's a lot of fun. So uh, all of a sudden I got like really busy and then I'm looking forward to this new job in October. So that's how it's been. 
Well, you know, that's welcome to the gig economy. That is the way it is, you know. You think it's a total drought, and the next thing you know, you're drowning. So yes. uh, that's exciting. I'm so excited to hear that you have a new job, and I can't wait to hear about this video game you can't talk about. And <laughs> I, I know it's going to be uh, super awesome because, Jeff, you know, your statement where I am going to make this five minutes of music so that they cannot imagine it with anyone else well, if anybody can do that, that will be you. That was our situation <laughs> in the girl who wore freedom. We asked you to make that temp music, which was totally unnecessary. But once we had made that temp music, we didn't want to use anybody else. So yeah. you can do I tried it. to make you use someone else, but you refused. And then uh... <laughs> I did. I, yeah. I did. I did. If you it haven't listened out. to the episode where Jeff tried to quit on me, um, go back, go way back and look for Jeff's episode <laughs> and you can hear that story. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we uh, this this kind of came together because uh, Jeff sent me a question, I, I guess, a week or so ago. And it I didn't know the answer to it. I had to find out the answer. And in finding out the answer, uh, we learned we just really didn't know a lot. We needed to learn more. And I thought, wow, if I need to learn more about this, so does our audience. So audience, we don't know much more about what we're going to talk about than you do, <laughs> but we're going to tell you a little bit about what we've learned. And we'll get to that subject in a minute. Uh, for now, do you guys mind if I give you a film update? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to know what's going on because I haven't. We haven't talked much, Christian. You've been super busy. I know there's a lot going on. You weren't even like at home for a long time, and so yeah. I ha have not. Other than the podcast, I haven't had a whole lot of contact. So I'd love to hear what's going on. Well, what's the last thing that you remember? Uh, so I will say the last podcast I was on was with the guy from Virgil Films. Um, yes. And we were talking to him. I forgot his name. He seemed like a Joe a very, Amaday. Yeah, Joe very Amaday. generous fellow. Uh, my apologies, Joe. And um, so we we're talking about that. And then there was, um, you know, the whole everything uh, with the Delta flight had happened and people were um, starting to reach out and send you posts. So um, I'd love to know what's going on with Virgil Films. And, you know, there was some discussion about maybe trying to get them to get um, like a subcontract or something from FFS. Uh, so where does all that stand now? Yeah, so we are still standing. We are still standing. <laughs> like Elton um, John said. <laughs> yeah, we are still standing. We are waiting for that sub-distributor con sub contract to come through. I hear it is in the works, so that's encouraging to me. Uh, but as of right now, we don't have anything signed that I know about. Uh, I think that right now, I, am I wrong, J Jason? Can you look this up? Is can on the horizon in the month of September? Because... I heard that that may be the case. And if that is the case, then I think these distributors are all kind of busy, including Virgil Films, paying attention to what's going on over at Cannes. So Cannes is usually- I thought it in, was in May. Yeah, it's in May. So what, yeah, what big film festival is in September right now? I don't know. I'm going to have to look. Give me a uh, stall for me. Okay. All right. So um, anyway, the, uh, when I asked Joe, what is the next step? So- I'd ask Joe, you know, okay, we're waiting around. What is the next step? And he said the next three weeks will be all about Toronto and it will be a good time to be away. So that's what's going on this week, the Toronto Film Festival. And so everybody's going to be focused on that. Gotcha. And um, so, so anyway, not a lot is happening there. The reason I asked about that was because we have now finished 
the pitch deck for the Brave Dutch. Ta-da! Yes. We're super excited about this. We went back to the drawing board and we wrote uh, two or three more episodes and retooled some things to add a lot more focus on the women Dutch resistance workers. So our new pitches integrate them a lot more. And I guess in three weeks, Virgil Films will take that pitch deck and they will begin pitching it to all the streaming channels and cable channels. And they'll give everybody the opportunity to uh, green light this project all at once. And I think they'll give them a deadline. And then uh, we'll see if we can get anybody to bite. That would be super exciting. I I have a question. Yeah. Uh, You say they'll take it to pitch. Are you involved in the pitch process or do they, they take that? from you right yeah the only way that i am uh involved is that we have been we wrote the outline for all the episodes so we wrote uh, we have a whole thing planned out in our minds we wrote down an outline and then we wrote down the episodic summaries and we sent that to virgil films they put it into a beautiful pitch deck mindy cook made some of our art um and so that's included in there we've included a lot of our pictures of the dutch people uh are my new co uh, producer in Holland is Tulai van Manen, and she pulled together a whole bunch of Dutch resistance photos for us. So they combined all of that into our pitch deck, and then Joe Amade will take that to those places and you know send that around and basically say we'd love to set up a meeting with you uh, to talk to you more about this. And I don't think that I would be involved in those meetings unless they wanted to be like, hey, we want to talk with the director which at that point they would bring me in. Um, and, you know, when you're asking for $5 million, they might want to see who's going to be directing this movie. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, so, you know, I'm really hoping for that because if that comes through, I would be able to hire you, Jeff. And uh, I don't know how we'd make that work. You'd have to quit your other job, I think, and come work <laughs> well, for me. The good news, I would, I would do it for uh, $4 million and it gives you plenty left over to make the film. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And I'd also be hiring you, Jason, and, you know, the whole cast of other characters that worked on The Girl Who Wore Freedom. That's basically why, um, you know, I brought a lot of people in sort of on the ground floor for The Girl Who Wore Freedom. It's really a test case to see who we want to work with, how it all worked out. Could we, um, you know, work together in a productive way? And what was the product like when we finished? So uh, we all ended up in a pretty happy place when that was all done and obviously a really successful one. Um, I do have some exciting news to announce. And that is just about an hour ago, I purchased a plane ticket to fly to France. Wow. So, and, and of course, on Delta nonetheless. So, tomorrow <laughs> I will be able to watch my movie on Delta Airlines for the very first time. That's awesome. I'm Are you gonna super do it? jazzed about that. Well, I mean, you know, I'll take my picture watching my movie. <laughs> <laughs> they should make an announcement. The pilot should say, hey, you have you stand up and say, if anybody wants to watch this film, she's the one who made it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we can do question and answers yeah. at nine o'clock, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, I'm super, super jazzed about that. So and you bought can't... a ticket today to leave tomorrow? Well, I did because Delta is kind of helping me out. They're letting, you know. Oh, okay. And... okay. And that seems a little financially crazy but uh, it, it like... <laughs> yeah it, it was it was the way to go i'm gonna fly standby and okay. uh we'll see how it goes but um yeah so i'm gonna 
get on the plane tomorrow midday, fly to Detroit, and then fly from Detroit to Paris. And Helen Patton is going to pick me up at the airport. And we're going to go to Reims. And I'm going to learn about that place because she has a house there. And then we're going to go to Normandy on the 12th. And there is a meeting with the American Veterans Association in St. Mary Glees. So that's, I'm going to dip my toe back into those Normandy waters, literally and figuratively. I'll get to see Michelle Coupe, my co-producer. She's going to put me up for the few days I'm in Normandy. Apparently, Flo Boucherie has a big surprise for me. I hope it's a dinner with all of my friends and all of the cast members. And we will uh, sort of celebrate being back together after about two years. Oh, and that's so cool. I'll see Danny and Jean-Marie and Jean-Marie and Sylvie Caillat and Jean Ferrier, I'm sure, and Thomas and Flavie, all of our French cast and crew. Uh, I really do hope I get to spend some time with Charles de Valivier, go to Bricor Manor, you know, you know, the usual. The that's usual. awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> so that'll be for about a week. And then on, um, let's see, on the 16th, on the 16th of September... Do you hear my yard being mowed? I'm so sorry, everybody. Of course, they would decide to mow right now. Um, anyway, on the 16th of September, Michelle Coupe and I are driving to um, Uden, Uden in the Netherlands, which is not too far from Eindhoven. And we're going to be attending the Market Garden commemorations. I've always wanted to do this. Um, we did not have a big victory, as most people know, at Market Garden. But still, there were a lot of Americans that died there, as well as British and Canadians. And they do want to remember all of those people who sacrificed and paid the greatest price. And so they have commemorations on the 17, 18, and 19 over that weekend. And several members of our Normandy team are going to be there. Flavie, um, Flavie Poisson and um, Jean-Pierre Lorneur or Sebastian Lenay from Carenton and Denis Vandenbrink from Carenton are also going to be there representing the 101st in the great town of Carenton. But also my son, Jonah Taylor, who is from the 16th Sustainment Brigade, the fifth quartermaster group, has been sent to the Market Garden commemorations. Oh, cool. And so I get to be there. So not only <laughs> did I have Hunter in Normandy, now I've got Jonah at Market Garden. It's just, it's meant to be. So super excited about that. I've never seen Jonah in his uniform doing his work. So that will be really cool. That's awesome. And then um, Tulai Van Manen is going to meet me there. Uh, Dick Winters is also in our film. He was a big person that helped me in the very beginning. So Dick Winters is going to be there and some other of our veteran friends. And then once the commemorations are over on the 19th, then my attention turns to the brave Dutch. And so the whole reason I really started going there in the first place was I needed to do the pre-production work on the Brave Dutch like I did originally for The Girl Who Wore Freedom. So this story, um, John Lau, he was the downed airman who was shot down uh, over Occupied Highland in April 29, 1944. He landed in a town called Appledorn, and I'm going to be in that area where he landed and visiting all the places where he went and hopefully meeting some of the children of the resistance workers that helped him and just getting a good idea of more of the resistance story and the people that were involved in it. Uh, so that I could figure out where we want to shoot and what people we want to interview. I'll be meeting experts there, uh, getting location ideas for scouting locations. 
And, you know, uh, we have a lot of reenactments that are going to be happening. So uh, Toma is going to be, I, I'm thinking of Toma uh, as our John Lau character. And then Flavi is going to be uh, overseeing all of the civilian uh, reenactors because there will this will have a lot of civilian dressed reenactors, not military ones. So it'll be a little different, but I've got to sort of make those connections and figure out what you know. I've got to make the relationships with the towns and the different museums, and just like I did in Normandy. So Helen Patton's coming on as an executive producer, so she'll be there helping me out. And so yeah, it's going to be a super exciting time. That's kind of where my focus has been, other than. I think you can tell I'm back home, sort of. Yes. Sort of. <laughs> I am at Wheaton, Illinois, but my house is utterly destroyed. I mean, they've ripped out everything in the basement, everything on the second floor. All they left me was my computer and a few <laughs> little things in my office. They're waiting for me to get out of here so they can rip it all up. And, um, you know, I'm the kind of person that, you know, why don't we just pile on a few more things? Let's just, we don't have enough stress. Let's just... <laughs> throw it all on. Uh, the good news is my father was settled into his new apartment in Jackson and we did get his house all cleaned out and he ended up being very happy. And it was sort of a nice bow at the end because when I left in all the packing, I found a letter that his mother had written him in 1993 that basically said, Jim, I am praying that you will be rested, happy, full of joy, walking with the Lord, and you learn how to just rest in that peace. And so I read him that letter the morning before I left. It was sort of like his mother had spoken to him and I had helped fulfill that. And he was now in that place where he could do that. So uh, I feel very good about, you know, that and feeling free in my mind to go now and turn back my focus to work. So there you go. That's what's happening with me. Wow. That is a lot. I wish I could take you, Jeff and Jason. <laughs> I'd love to see the Netherlands, but yeah, yeah, I can't well, go tomorrow. You will. You you will go if this ends up happening. We end up having money. We'll have to do a real pre-pro trip so that you can write music for it. Oh, you'll just go over there with us while we're shooting. Yeah, Bill's I'll, going. Figure it out. Bill's going. <laughs> if Bill's going, I can I can go. Yeah, <laughs> you know. All right, th taking Jeff to the Netherlands just sounds like a bridge too far. <laughs> But um, bum. Nice one, Jason. Unbelievable. Nice one. <laughs> I don't know how long you've been waiting to say that one, but <laughs> well, I, I had to Google it. I was like, I'm pretty sure Bridge Too Far is about Market Garden. I'm like 99% sure. <laughs> it is. It is. It is indeed. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen a Bridge Too Far, make sure you do. There's a lot of people um, in that movie, for the record. Like, oh kind of, my goodness, it's, it's yeah. like amazing. everyone ever. <laughs> yes, it's it, yeah, it is. It's kind of like the you know the. Uh, what is it? The longest day. Yeah. The longest day. Right. Isn't that what it's called? The Normandy movie. Yeah. Um, the longest day. There is a movie called the longest day about Normandy. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't sound right for a second. Anyway. Okay. Jeff, not to be confused with the to... longest yard, which is not about Normandy. That's a terrible movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. Slightly different. <laughs> Definitely different movie. Okay, Jeff. So we're here. The title of this episode is Q, the music Q sheet. So uh, clever. Yes, thank you. Tell us how we got to cue the music cue sheet. Yeah, so a cue sheet is something that if you are in film and television, you would know uh, if you have done been in those productions. Well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I didn't know. Well, I didn't you, know. You're a first-time filmmaker. so you, That's true. 
So uh, we didn't know that we got here because most people, if you've been already in this arena, you would know about it. We had not known about it. Um, I had heard about them because of just sort of being in the music composing scoring community. Like I've heard people talk about them, um, but I've never had to be responsible for one. So I just sort of like never thought about it. And when Christian made the film and we had to start getting these documents together for the distributor to sort of be able to distribute, uh, that was one of the things I had asked for was a cue sheet. And I realized I've never even seen one in person, let alone filled one out. And Christian had also not really heard of it and was not sure exactly what it was. So um, fortunately, uh, I am a member of ASCAP. There's there a couple performance rights organizations, they call them PROs, and BMI and ASCAP are the, the two big ones. Um, and so I am a member of, of ASCAP, and I've been that uh, for many, many years, but I've just been a member kind of because like I don't really have anything that it does for me. It's not collect, they exist to collect royalties for musicians and artists. Um, and I have not had anything for them to collect because <laughs> I haven't really done anything that fits in their sphere of influence. But uh, this, fortunately, they had a template that I could go out and fill out and we got it taken care of. So to back up and explain what this all is, basically, these performance rights organizations uh, BMI and ASCAP and CSAC and some of the other places have agreements and, and contracts with uh, network television, cables, channels, you know, streaming services, things like that. And when something, uh, a show or a movie is played or consumed um, in that way, then they have the channels, the cable channels or the TV channels, they have to pay the performance rights organizations to broadcast the music that accompanies the television show or the movie. Now, why is this agreement in place? I don't really know. I don't know why the music gets to collect a performance royalty that, you know, maybe other things don't. The sound design or voiceover artist, I don't think those guys get extra royalties on top of what they've already done. Um, so I'm not clear as to why the music gets a special collection um, for royalties, but it's the world we live in. And, uh, and so this cue well, sheet, I, I, I just let me interrupt for one yeah. second. I'm sorry, but, no, uh, no, but no. here's, I'm speculating. And I guess Jason, you could look this up while I'm speculating, but, um, in a sense, the music is performed by an artist and you have, um, you have actually people that play the music. So those are musicians. And then you have people who write the music. Those are the publishers, you know, or the people that wrote it. So in a, in a music song, there are publishing rights and there are syncing rights, I think, or performance rights. Mechanical publishing, rights and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and it's really truly is no different than an actor, a SAG actor, they will get paid an upfront fee and then they will have residuals on the back end. So that would be the same for you. If we, but if are those, are those residuals for units sold? Like if the movie makes money by selling, um, then they get money or is it because of, uh, they have an agreement with like, do they get, does someone get paid every time USA, the USA network shows their film? Are they getting paid? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. 
Yes. Every yeah. single time that an you know someone's work, an actor's work is seen, somebody paid for it. Unless it's on PBS and it was donated or whatever. Okay. But every single time a penny is paid for any actor's work, they get a residual of that from now until the end of time. Okay. Well, there you go. So th- this this is just the music version of of Correct. the uh, of the unions for the actors and uh, everything like that. So yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. I, I can speak a little bit to why music itself is considered um, in that way. So it's kind of similar to like artwork. If you were to hire an artist to draw something and you want ownership of it. So unless they outright give you like, all right, it's a work for hire and you own whatever I create all the, all the illustrations, everything like that, then you gain authorship of that drawing. So with this, and this, this is common. Like, um, so (laughs) if you've ever watched a movie, Uh, that movie has been authored by a writer, but it is considered to have authorship. The person who holds authorship is the studio. The studio holds authorship of the script. It's a, it's a work for hire. And so that's residuals are kind of a way for them to snake around that. It's like, you don't get to own it exactly, but we get to pay you for it. Um, so, so it's kind of like a, a weird push pull of, uh, you know, the individual like writer or artist going, I, I have rights. I need money. I need to be paid for this. And you're going to continue making money off of this to, to the end of time. Um, it's kind of a push pull there of, okay, you get to own it, but I get to get paid for it for the rest of my life, even if it's just a small fraction of it. And so yeah. music falls into that same sort of thing because music has inherent value on its own. Uh, video, uh, you know, an, an image, an illustration has inherent value on its own. A lot of people don't consider sound effects on their own to be uh, valuable. A lot of people wouldn't sit and just listen to the sound effects track of a movie, but they would listen to the soundtrack. And so that's, that's a big distinction there. Now, whether or not that's right, I'm not sure, but <laughs> that that's probably the reasoning as to why like a Foley artist doesn't get residuals as far as I'm aware. Well, and you know, truthfully, when you think about it, Jeff, music, it's not just that it's valuable. Music is a creation. Somebody poured creative effort into coming up with something original. And so that person needs to be compensated for their original work. And so this is the way the industry has come up with making sure that people are compensated. I watched a, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary on the Go-Go's. Did you ever, did you see that? It's fascinating. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's wonderful. I remember dropping you off and then I couldn't make it back in time. Oh, I just ripped open a scab. (laughs) But it's fine. You can talk about it. <laughs> I dropped. If you don't know, so Christian and I are at Sundance, and that was a that was a big thing. And the Go Go's were like her childhood heroes, and so we had tickets to go to a screening. And but we get to the theater where they're screening it, and they're like, "Oh, sorry, no parking, drop off only." I don't really know why that's a rule, but it was weird. And so it was like twenty minutes to the film, and I said, "Christian, I'm going to drop you off." I'm going to go park the car, which was like way, way far away. And then you had to take a bus 
public transit or some, some sort of chartered <laughs> bus in. So by the time I went and parked the car and by, I was waiting at the bus stop and I was watching my phone and the movie had already started and I just told her, I was going to grab a cup of coffee and I will see you after the film, but uh, which is okay. I mean, I didn't have the love affair with the Go-Go's that, that she did, but I was glad she got to see it. But anyway, that's where that comes from. Uh, I was Sorry, there. Jeff. I was there and I was close, but I didn't quite get it. Well, it was amazing. I got in there early. I sat in the front seat. The Go-Go's actually talked to me. It was just a, a phenomenal experience, but the movie back to the movie, uh, you know, in the eighties, you didn't really know as much about celebrities, particularly music artists, as you do now. You would read about them or learn about them from the back of their album covers or from, you know, Rolling Stone magazine or whatever, or People magazine. But today we know the we know just about everything an artist thinks all the time, particularly if they tweet. So but back then you didn't really know a lot. So there was a lot of history of the Go-Go's that I really never heard. And one of the things that was so interesting was how the band broke up and what their troubled times were. And it was over the publishing rights. And so, you know, one of them, I think her name was Kathy, wrote most of the music. And so she was getting paid a lot more. And none of the band members knew that or understood that. So they were all getting paid different prices. And somehow somebody found out how much more she was getting paid. And they learned about the difference between publishing rights and you know, performance rights. And, you know, it seemed very, very unfair to them. And, but when you think about it, somebody who writes that music is it's a, it's coming out of their mind. It's a creative work coming out of their mind that drives the music. And so there are many people who can sing and yes, your singing is beautiful, but it's not necessarily this original created work. Sure. I think in, you know, in the music world, the songwriter usually is the the one who's making bank, right? And if you can right. tour and perform, if you're Katy Perry or whatever, uh, and you can sell merchandise and you can sell albums and you can sell out arenas, you're going to make a comfortable living. But if you're a songwriter who can write hit song after hit song, you're that's just like mailbox money for the rest of your life. And a lot of it, it's kind of a great place to be. Um, <laughs> so unless you want, you know, the sold out, you want to be in front of the sold out stadiums and have your picture on a t-shirt, which I, uh, I mean, I do, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I once read an interview with um, Ryan Tedder, who's the the front man for one Republic. And he's written, I don't even know how many hit songs it is. He's li- like from Rihanna to Katy Perry to, you know, he's, he's written with almost everybody. Uh, and he said that he's written with all these people and the, the best way to make money is to write a song that can be in a Jeep commercial. <laughs> Interesting. You'll Interesting. get a check every time they run that commercial and you'll just make a ton of money. And so like he wrote uh, a song that was in a Disney commercial and he's written songs that were in different car commercials. And he's like, that's how I made a huge, just huge amounts of money. It's just those. And it's like, he, he tours with one Republic to like, you know, sold out stadiums. And it's just like, Nah, you know, just <laughs> write something that could be in a commercial and, and you'll <laughs> and you'll retire early. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think we're all in the wrong career, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but is, I, I is the closest. <laughs> he is the closest. He and, and you know what? He may be there one day because he does write music. Um, it does originally no come out of his mind. Well, that's true. And and you certainly I mean, you know, 
Anyway, I believe in you, Jeff. I think you're going to get there. Uh, I did dip my toe in the water of this when I had to. Now, you're talking about this music cue sheet. We ran across it because one of the deliverables in the errors and omission category is this music cue sheet. And on the music cue sheet, you have to list every bit of music that is in your movie. You have to list the name of it. You have to list where it is in the timeline. You have to list who the authors are, uh, who the performers are, and you have to demonstrate that you have the rights for that, at least in the, in the rights Bible. And all of that stuff needs to go into this sheet. And when I went to try to, we have one thing that Jeff did not create in our film, and it is the song, you know, South of the Border by uh, Kenny, I forget, Baker, Kenny Baker. Jeff, I found it somewhere that? randomly. I thought you wrote that. <laughs> no, if it was no. in a Jeep commercial, I should have been <laughs> getting paid. Now, it was written by Kenny Baker in 1943, and Danny sings it in the movie. She sang it because one of the GIs sang it at the communion of her um, brother. So... I looked it up and I tried to find the rights from it. Well, it's a song from 1943. I mean, I, the hardest thing I did in this film, I think was trying to track down the sinking rights and the publishing rights for this song so that I could put them in there. And wow. so that was 1943. I use a minute of it and it probably cost me several thousand dollars, which crazy. is crazy. The, yeah. people, <laughs> the people that played the music and the people that wrote the music aren't even alive anymore. You know, it goes into some estate somewhere for someone and ASCAP and uh, BMI and who Sony, I think, and, uh, you know, Three Rivers Media or whoever it was, they all get a piece of that because wow. they manage those rights. So anyway, then after I figured out all of that, the only other music was Jeff's. So I sent it to Jeff and Jeff had to figure out how to fill it out. And as I remember, Jeff, didn't you have to name every piece yeah. in there? Tell that us was, what you had to do. To that it. was the hard part. So there's a lot of music in this film. If you haven't seen it, uh, there's a lot. And if you have seen it, you might recognize there's a lot. Um, and there's a lot of just like little subtle stops and starts. And so what I had to do is every time a cue started, I have to mark down the, the minute and second into the film the timestamp where the, where the music started and then where it ended. And then I have to give it a title and then I have to list it as I'm the composer. And then um, there's a, and then ASCAP as my publishing rights organization and fill out that information. And so uh, the hardest part was coming up with, with names for all this stuff, because there's a lot of cues in there. The music stops and starts a lot and i don't know what to call it like so uh so i tried to call it something that was related to you know to what was going on in the conversation or on screen or something like that but uh tell I think, us what tell us some of the titles oh here let me see if i can look, pull it up on the computer i started try, like i think i started initially in my life uh on this cue sheet trying to go I'm going to give these really good titles. And I think by the end, yeah. I was like, I just need to get this done. So you can probably <laughs> this see. this song's <laughs> called Steve. <laughs> see a progression through there. Uh, okay, let me find this for you. Well, and I certainly hope you named the parachute music, parachute music. Oh, I don't know that I did. <laughs> really? I don't know. So 
if you've if you've listened to any of Jeff's uh, you know podcasts, we talk about how we would call this parachute music parachute music, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, but for Bill and I, it, we named it parachute music. Okay, here we go. The girl who wore freedom cue sheet. So let's see here. We have. Star Spangled Banner. That's another one we use that I did not <laughs> write. I wish I did. Uh, and so that we had a a royalty free public domain performance of it from that our sound guy uh, Jason Hoban got from the Library of Congress. So we were kind of covered on that one. But then, um, like I named one Goodwill Mission because you say your son was going on a Goodwill mission to, and you start ah. explaining how you got there. So that's that cue is called Goodwill Mission. And then we have a cue called Meeting Danny. And that's when you explain how you met Danny and how um, you started getting, you had a picture taken and you kind of met uh, met them. Then different things like uh, Marked Lives. I think someone had said um, in, a, in an interview about how their yeah, lives were Yeah, that was Henri Jean. That was um, Henri Jean Renault. And Euphoria, yeah. when he talks about how people were giving candy in, in the streets and how it was just a a change of tone when when the GIs came down and liberated them. Uh, Trey Calm was another one when she talks about everything being very surreal and ghost-like. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a night of terror, right? That's from when, you know, she says, she says it's a night of uh, terror about... Um, uh, LeConte, what's her first name? Yeah, um, Denise LeConte. Yeah, yeah. She, she talks, talks about, yeah, June 6th was a night of terror. Yeah, and so a lot of that stuff. So very practical. Uh, I wasn't trying to get too crazy with it. The Colonel and the Eggs, you know, that's the story about, you know, the little bouncy reenactment. I love that music. I love that music. These are great names. This is the first time, I'm sorry, Jeff, this is the first time I've really looked you didn't, at You didn't this. read this uh, multi-page document <laughs> when I sent it to you? <laughs> I just turned... I just turned it in. Um, but yeah, th- this is great. You listen to what was going on and whatever it was talking about, you know, complex interactions. I remember Charles de Valivier saying that, um, you know, destruction and civilian casualties, American camps. That's another one where the music changes. And I really love that. Yeah. Uh, setting up camp, a wonderful life for children. One of my yeah, favorites is, is uh, the liberation of Bob Lockard. And I, I love that story for all, uh, first of all, but then I also, I, I liked how that cue came in. And so it's just a beautiful story and no one talks, no one says that phrase, but it, the story is about him being freed by this kind old woman who, who told him, thank you, even though he felt like he wrought all this destruction. Um, and so the liberation of, of Bob Lockard, I thought was a great that is a, a great, great, title. great so title. There's a there's a lot of just sort of functional names and some some I tried to put some thought into, but um, we're talking about forty. Let's see, forty three, forty five, forty five. Oh, when you two of them aren't yours, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot uh, a lot of pieces of music to stop and start, um, and so you can imagine. And I wasn't sure like how exact. If I put it starts at 47 minutes and 19 seconds, but the music really starts at 47 minutes and 20 seconds, are they going to be like, sorry? Uh, <laughs> so I was trying to be as exact as I could. Oh, the C.O. Bauer one, the inimitable C.O.E. Bauer is a great <laughs> – I like that oh, title that's, too. That's uh, a good title. He's a, he's a character. But um, So I was trying to be exact as I could when I was filling it out. When does it stop and start? 
And I don't know how exact you have to be, but um, you can go online and you can see a template. I just use a template of a cue sheet and you can kind of see how it's laid out. But uh, I filled it out wrong twice. And then on the third time, I finally figured it out. So what kinda, mistake did you make? Um, so the first time I filled it out, uh, actually, the first two times I filled it out, I didn't fill out the um, the percentage of shares and the you have to have a composer name and a publisher name. And I, I only filled out the composers for the first time. And then I filled out the composer and the publisher the second time, which I felt like I did it. But then I gave each, I thought I had to add up to 100%. So I gave each the composer 50% and the publisher 50%. But then I found out, no, they each have to have 100% of the share of the publisher and 100% of the share of the composer. So uh, if you have multiple publishers, then you start splitting it out. If you have multiple composers, ah. you start splitting that 100% out to who goes to, what goes to who. So um anyway i third that's time that's interesting I got right. yeah i'm looking at the sheet right now if if you guys uh, have never seen one uh basically the sheet starts out a sequence number which is you know what order it is i guess in the in the film the cue title so a song and a track name i don't understand the usage column okay so the usage uh the bi is background instrumental and a bv ah. is a background vocal if someone's singing on it i think a VI is a visual instrumental. I assume that means if you're watching someone playing the music. Um, and then a VV is a visual vocal. MT is a main title theme. And an ET is an end title theme. And then there's a logo. How about that? Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. All right. And then they ask for time in and time out. They do say those are optional, but look at that. You filled them out. Good boy. And then they ask you for the duration of that piece of music. And then it'll say role. And it does say publisher and composer. And under the composer writer, it asks for the first and middle name. Now, I know why. I'm going to ask Jason. Jason, do you know why it would ask for the first and middle name? Because there's a lot of people running around on the planet with way too many of the same names. It's exactly right. (laughs) So I'm learning something here that your middle name is Carl, Jeff. Yeah. And my social security number is <laughs> just give all the information out. Jeffrey Jeff. Carl Kurtnecker. Jeff, yeah. I, uh, I think your, your parents maybe made the, made the wrong call there. I think you're more of a Carl. I think that fits. Yeah. I think Carl. that's who you are now to okay, me. This is my last <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Now, my question for you here is, Jeff, I do see you've listed your name as the composer, but then there's like a bunch of hash mark things underneath the publisher line. So the hash, so the composer and according to the ASCAP rules or however they explain the sheet to me, um, uh, the I am the composer, but I'm also like the music publisher. There wasn't another music publisher involved um, that made the deal to use the music. So, um, what you see on the sheet is on the top line, if you read it straight across, you see the composer, me, and then the publisher name is, um, the, the sheet is sort of like goofy because they give you one line as a spreadsheet over the top, but it's probably very not interesting for anyone who's not looking at the sheet, but, um, all the (laughs) hash marks are a way to sort of divide out the, um, the non-applicable fields for what they're looking I for. See. 
Hmm. And then your company, it looks like, is in his groove. And so that's the publisher name in that, that column. That's right. And then it'll say pro affiliation and you put ASCAP. So that means the group that you belong to that's managing the rights for your music. Yes. I originally put the Seattle Seahawks and they said that's not, <laughs> not right. So the PRO stands for, the, again, the Performance Rights Organization. And so I belong to ASCAP. You can, if, if everyone was looking, you scroll down. There is a cue by another uh, composer um, that is a BMI, a, a BMI affiliation. So, uh, Elliot Callahan, we have his music in there for just about one minute and you made an, a, a agreement with him, Christian, to use that music, but his affiliation is BMI. So I had to list that as, yeah. And, um, and then with the Old Mexico way or the South of the border song, um, I had to find out, yeah, who, who wrote those, who is considered the composer and then who's the publisher. And that was a whole other thing to chase down, like you said. So um, there's a kind of a, a good amount of information and just trying to get it all organized is the biggest step. Yeah. So I was wrong about um, Kenny Baker was, was, did do one South of the border song, but we used the version where the composer was James Kennedy and the um, another composer was Michael Carr, and I think Kim, Kenny Baker probably sang it. Um, yeah, so that's interesting about this music cue sheet. It definitely is something that producers need to learn about, as well, of course, as composers. Now, the interesting question is Jacob. Uh, Jacob, like, where did that sneak in there? Jeff asked me uh, a couple weeks ago: Did the distributor? file this or register this with ASCAP. Is that the question you asked me, Jeff? Yeah, I was curious um, if they had actually turned it in because I was going to turn it in and they said, we'll take care of it. And I have a general distrust of most people. So I just thought I should follow up and see, did they actually turn it in? And <laughs> so I was curious because I had also logged in to my ASCAP account and I noticed that there were not any cue sheets that were pointed to my name that were attached to my account. So then I thought, well, it's either that they did turn it in and ASCAP hasn't connected the dots behind the scenes or it hasn't been turned in. And, you know, that's maybe just a mistake on their part. Yeah. So I did go back and ask the distributor. They told us that it happens automatically. Now, I'm not sure how it happens automatically. We might need to drill down on that because you would think if it happened automatically, it would show up in your account. Yeah, so, it, it, Matt, I don't do know what automatically means either. Um, but I am going to contact someone and from the performance rights organization. I'm just going to ask them, uh, "Hey, can you help me? Was this actually turned in? And if so, is it pointing to me?" Now we aren't on any channels. Uh, it's only for sale, so I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't be making any money anyways. I don't believe. Right? I don't think I'd get any royalties from it unless they were had it. And it was being consumed on a, a channel or a streaming service that has a, an agreement with ASCAP. Um, so and ASCAP stands for like the associate, the American Society of Composers, Artists and Performers, performers or something along those lines. So, so let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Publishers. Jason, right, Jason? It's, it's publishers. Publishers. Look at me acting like I know what I'm talking about. We should, we've all learned. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, well, so what I think is interesting, Jeff is now 
you did, you know, give us this music, you donated this music to us, but we gave you the rights to the music to do with it, whatever you want. So if somebody wanted to, if they heard the music in our film and wanted to use it for something in their film, they would contact you and then you could charge them a fee for that. Is that how that would work? Yeah, I could license it out to someone else. I mean, it would have to be an extraordinary circumstance to do that. Maybe a Jeep commercial um, because I do love Jeeps. <laughs> I own one. And if they were to contact me and say, we want to use, you know, the kernel of the eggs in our Jeep commercial. Oh man, I would, I, how could I say no? But um, yeah, because of the unique nature, I think of our working agreement, um, I was trying to hold on to hold on to some rights as much as I could. Um, because if the life of Prince has taught us anything, it's that you got to control your own masters and you got to make sure that you sort of, you hang on to your work as best you can. Most of my life in video games is work for hire. So I don't own, you know, technically, even though, like Jason said before, I authored this music, technically the copyright is of the video game company that I was working for at the time. So I have no rights to sell those soundtracks or make any money off of it. It just sort of is what it is. Um, and in this particular case, I thought, well, there wasn't a budget to hire a composer. And I thought, well, maybe I'd be happy to work on this film, but retain the rights to the music so that I still own it um, as authorship. And uh, I, I don't think I would feel very good about associating with another project and just slapping this music. I think it's very, you know, very closely woven and married to what's happening in this film. I'm not sure it would belong at home in too many other scenarios. But um, yes, but if we released a, you know, I guess I, I, would, be, I would be well within my rights to, to compile a, a soundtrack and release it. But because I am not a jerk, I would want to like talk to you about that first and, you know, try to. Well, the other interesting thing that we've discussed is that I've said all along, Hey, let's make a soundtrack and sell it. And you're like, well, people don't buy soundtracks anymore. Well, that's true. I was also kind of thinking this is a while ago. I was kind of hoping that there might come a day when we could actually get live players on it. So the way it sounds in the film is, is good, but if you're listening to it by itself without the without the film happening at the same time, um, you can kind of, you know, it's not as glorious as if it was a full live orchestra playing. This is all done on my on computers with sampled sounds, and it's passable. I think I'm proud of the way it turned out. But if you were going to charge people money for it, I would love to actually do it right with a with a live orchestra or at least some live players. So I kind of was putting off that until maybe we could have enough money to do that. Um, but, you know, I think maybe there's a, a compilation album. We don't, don't want to put 45 cues on an album, but maybe we could put sort of the greatest hits together and have it available for download or put it on Spotify or something like that. Yeah, I would love that for sure. And I know that our audience would too. I mean, people listen to Band of Brothers and it is pretty moving. And Jeff- That's yeah, Michael you know, Kamen. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's like one of the best of all time. <laughs> yes, he is. But yeah, I think you're Michael stuff Kamen, is... Jeff Kurtnacker. Who to choose? <laughs> <laughs> I choose you, Jeff. I oh, you. thank you. I, I choose Carl Kurtnacker. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? That sounds like you were named after a grandfather. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like the character from Up. <laughs> is I know Carl it's with a K? That would just be yes. perfect. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> it is. You you win, Jason. You win. 
Oh, gosh, it's been so fun to be with you guys today. Uh, you have given us a good education, Mr. Kurtnacker, whether you are going by Jeff or Carl at this moment. It's Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you teaching us about music cue sheets. And uh, if you guys have any questions, you can direct them directly toward uh, Carl Kurtnacker yep. at Jeff at JeffKurtnacker.com. <laughs> if you have questions about cue sheets, I probably am not the person you should be asking. I think Mr. <laughs> Google would probably be the better uh, to ask than me. But I, if you don't know where to go, I can at least give you some links to point you in the right direction, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Unless you call me Carl, then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask Jeeves first. All righty then. <laughs> ask Jeeves, that's right. Does that thing still around? Uh, I've, I've no it, idea. I got, I got to look it up. Ask Jeeves. Um, all right. Well, Jason, is there anything you want to share? Anything else? Any other questions? Um, the last thing I have to share is that it's now just ask.com. It's not ask Jeeves anymore. At Boo. Yeah. Oh, that's that not fun. Of... Yeah. If, if you go to ask Jeeves.com, which or ask Jeeves.net, it's just a customized Google search. <laughs> so it's, it's, <laughs> it's gone. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Man, I, think, I canceled I Jeeves. That's all, I think that's all I've got. Um, Go support the Girl of War Freedom on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash DocFirstPod, I think. Let me let me verify that. While real you're thinking quick. about that and verifying, I just want to say one thing of explanation. So I am leaving tomorrow morning. I am going to be gone for four weeks. Um, another thing I'm so excited about, we have a new cinematographer for the girl, um, for the Brave Dutch. His name is Tim Bieber, a new producer named Kim Zimmer. Kim I, I can't believe I said that. Kate Zimmer. <laughs> Kate Zimmer is his wife and also a producer. Kate Hurley is a producer on The Brave Dutch now. I'm going to meet Tim Bieber and Kate Zimmer in Holland. Uh, they're going to go around and look at the locations with me, meet the people. I'm super excited about that. So I will be gone for four weeks. Now, I have no idea what's going to be happening on the podcast simply because it's been hard enough while I've been living for two months in Mississippi to try to figure out when we're going to do this podcast and how it's going to get done. And now we're having a seven hour time difference. So I'm going to try to keep it going. It really is helpful for me to keep my head in the game and do the podcast each week. Plus I really appreciate our Patreon supporters and I want them to stay along on this journey. So uh, we're going to, we're going to try to make it happen, but there may be a time or two where we have to send you a, you know, a, old episode just to listen to because we couldn't get it done but we'll do our best also i need to let you know that this is the last time you're going to see me in this office if you're watching us on video uh they're going to tear it down i guess my husband and i are going to tear it down later tonight and we are setting up a brand new office in my basement we have designed it from scratch everything is coming down i'm getting a whole new office with a, a built-in recording booth uh, a dedicated space with a wonderful background behind me for zoom calls just like this and i cannot wait my wow. thing is i don't think that it's going to be done by the time i come back on october 8th so i have no <laughs> idea where i will be um doing these video calls from. Uh, the other thing we have coming up when I do get back in October, we are going to the Massanutten Military Academy. That's in Woodstock, Virginia. We're going to be showing the film to the cadets as well as to some of the community members. We're going to be there from uh, October 14th through the 16th. And then um, we are also going to be in the Tryon Film Festival. 
So I'm super excited about this. This is in uh, North Carolina, Southern North Carolina, and it is going to be on September 15th. I think that's what it, I mean, sorry, October 15th. And so my hope is um, after I am done with Massanutten, I will go right over to the Tryon Film Festival. We'll see if I can make that work on October 15th. And then from there, we have the um, L'Oreal event in November, as well as a Fort Bragg event on October thir- uh, November 13 and 14. And then after that, I'm going to Virginia where I'm going to help my sister have a baby. And I'll be wow. in Virginia. So, I mean, I think this traveling roadshow is going to continue to happen all the way through the end of the year. Uh, Jeremy and I are talking about going back over to Germany at Christmas time to see our son Jonah and the Boucheries again. So who knows where I'll be coming to you from, from the rest of the year. So it's going to be an adventure. <laughs> Stick around. Don't Where in the world is Christian Taylor? It'll be the new game. That is going to be the new game. All right, everybody. Well, uh, the girl who wore freedom.com is where you can find podcasts, blogs, shirts, uh, pictures, posters, all that other stuff. Uh, Jason already told you about Patreon. Jason, do you want to give us that address again? Yeah. So it's patreon.com forward slash doc first podcast. And we are up to 14 patrons supporting us and making the show possible. So thank you all so That's much. for fantastic. Us. You're awesome. Thank you guys. Uh, also, I think I talked about this last week. We have just um, inter- started entering our new short, Grueling Glory. I don't even know if you know about this, Jeff. We've started entering glue- Grueling Glory into the film festival circuit. So we got a lot of waivers from our um, film festivals we were in last year. So I've already started entering those. We have a website, gruelingglory.com, if you want to watch the trailer so people can stop by there. We just got a lot of stuff going on, you know, a lot of stuff going on. So follow along on this journey. See where it takes us next. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Take us out, Jeff. Uh, sorry, Jason. <laughs> I was Jeff Jays at the start. Here. Here. It's fine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've been your host. Take Carl us out, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.